we continue our series this week, This is Church. I have labeled, labeled, titled today's sermon, Watch Your Step, and hopefully it becomes kind of clear uh, to you as, as we progress why I titled it in such a way. Now, if we're all being honest with one another, we're all living to please someone, right? Maybe we're living to please our husband or we're ple- living to please our wife. Maybe we're living to please uh, children. Ooh, there I am. Hello. There you are, Peter. Uh, maybe we're living to please our children. Maybe we're living to please a brother or sister or a parent. Um, maybe it's yourself. Maybe you're just living to please numero uno. You know, these things in themselves are not necessarily bad, but Scripture makes it very clear to us that um, they shouldn't be the source of our motivation. Our loved ones, uh, ourselves even, should not be the reason for why we decide to do and say the things that we do. The source of our motivation, as Paul teaches in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where we will be today, is that we should live exclusively to please God. Now, as we do that, living in such a way will allow us to live in a way that does please others around us. And so it's kind of from that focus that everything flows. And we need to view life in and through that lens where every decision we make aims to please God. Christian life is not about following a certain set of rules. If you grew up in a super legalistic church, uh, possibly a super Southern Baptist church, um, which we are, you were probably uh, taught to heavily rely on rules, right? We've got to follow all the things and do all the things the right way. But the entirety of that focus only leads to disappointment and more sin. Instead, instead, our life is about a loving desire to please a God from whom not only love, but all blessings flow. So we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 today. Like I said, we're going to start in verses 1 through 5. And this is what they say. As for the matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God as in fact you are living. Once again, just taking it back to the fact that the Thessalonians were doing things the right way and much of Paul's letter to them was just praising their efforts. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. You see, there's never a point where it's enough. There's never a point in where it's enough, meaning that there's always room for us to improve. There's always ways for us to change the way that we're living in order to live a life that is more pleasing to God. And so Paul's just encouraging them as you are living, continue to do it more and more. Don't get complacent. Don't don't get satisfied with the way that things are going. Continue to strive and push to please God. Verse two says, for, you know, what instructions we gave you by the authority of Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. In this passage, we learn very clearly that Paul's previous teachings and the teachings that he's about to give them aren't mere suggestions, but biblical commands. They carry the authority of Jesus. And at their heart, at the very foundation of these commands is the aim to please God. 
In verse 3, it says that God's will is that you should be sanctified. What does sanctified mean? Well, let's take a look at sanctification. Sanctification is the process by which an entity is brought into relationship with or attains that which is holy. That's a very uh, Webster's type definition. I got it from the New Bible Dictionary, third edition, if you're curious. The sanctification is the process by which an entity is brought into relationship with or attains that which is holy. Here's the cool thing about God, as Paul teaches, God's will for you is that you not only be in a relationship with a holy being, God himself, but that you also might get to obtain holiness yourself. Sanctification is an ongoing process. We're going to talk a little bit more about that, but here's the thing about holiness. Holiness is the state of being in which you find yourself separated from sin. Now, as I just said, sanctification is a process. It does not happen instantly. It does not happen overnight. It's not like you're in a relationship with Jesus and suddenly you're perfect and all your sin goes away and now you don't have anything to make amends for and everything is just great. We've made that point very clear, right? We're not just prancing through a meadow filled with rainbows and unicorns. I couldn't prance anyways, probably roll an ankle, just saying. This is a process. So as we look at our lives, are we better today, right now in this moment, than when we first started our relationship with Christ? If you can't answer yes, that's when you need to truly be worried. But if you can point to things and say, yeah, I can see where improvements are made here, and I can see where improvements are made there, and I'm getting better all the time, and I'm learning more all the time, and I'm, I'm trying to make conscious decisions that would be pleasing to God, I'm trying to change the way that I live, I'm trying to change the way that I think, trying to make sure that my, my words... Are, are, are thought out because I know that they carry weight. I know that they're important. I don't want them to be used to harm anybody. And then will you be better tomorrow than you are today? How can you let, for instance, today's message affect the way that you're living your life and change your daily processes and your interactions with your loved ones and just the people that you come across on a daily basis? The process when we reach holiness, when we get to experience holiness ourselves, is only to be completed when you reach heaven and receive the finality of God's grace. And as a result, you get to experience eternity there. So understand while you are on this earth, perfection is to be strived for. It will not be attained, which is why one, we need to be gracious to ourselves. And two, we need to continue to strive to work through this process of sanctification, knowing, knowing that it's God who sanctifies us, right? It, it's through Christ Jesus' blood that we are sanctified. It's not a process that you are in all by yourself. It's not something that you have to do in a vacuum, you do it within a church, within a group of loving people who are there to support you, who are there to rebuke you when needed, who are there to maybe tear down some things in your life that aren't exactly Christ-like, and then who should be there in the same time to help build you back up in that relationship with God. Here's the thing that we have to understand. I feel like I've said here's the thing like 12 times. I'm going to keep saying it. Apparently, I really like it. Here's the thing. Here's the deal. Uh, 
Purity. Purity is a prerequisite for holiness. Well, pastor, I'm not pure. Yeah, we know. Welcome to the club. Guess who else isn't pure? Me. Or that guy or that girl or that guy or that girl or that girl or that girl. Or that girl or I'd, I'd go through everybody, but that would take a long time. No one. We are not pure. We are, unfortunately, sinful beings who experience pureness, holiness, only through the grace of God. Something that we have to fully be able to wrap our heads around and understand. Now, we've already talked about being forgiven for past sins. But what today really expresses to us is that we have a duty, you and I both, to do our best to try to avoid future sin. That a lot is what sanctification is all about. It's what our walk with Christ is all about. It's about trying to become better people with Christ as our moral compass so that we sin less. We have a duty to do our best to avoid future sins. Romans 6, 1 through 4. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have new life. We must turn our back on sin. So let's go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. You should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. I'm going to break something down for you that maybe you know, maybe you don't know. You see, today we look at our world and we would think that sexual immorality is at an all-time high. You know, sex sells. There's People barely dressed trying to sell us every product under the sun from like almond milk to pacifiers. I don't know. It's just in the marketing world's head that put a guy there with a shirt off flexing and you can sell chapstick. Like apparently his abs are chapped. I don't know. Apply daily. Awkward? That was probably awkward. We need to break up the tension a little bit. It's all good. But here's the thing. In this day and age, when this scripture was written, sexual immorality was either equal to or surpassing what it is today. There was pretty much zero rules. You want to do something with someone or ones? Go for it. Doesn't matter. Don't withhold from yourself your utmost desires. And this is the world that they're living in. So I say that to, to say when he talks about avoid sexual immorality, yes, it is talking about specific sins, but it is also addressing a day and age and a time and place where things were out of control. And what Paul is actually encouraging is self-control. See, the Christian experiences sin just like everyone else. But we have a loving obligation to our God. That is key. A loving obligation to our God, which requires us to not act on it, 
like everyone else. As a Christian, do you stop experiencing temptation? No. No. Now, there will be times in your life where you maybe overcome certain temptations as other ones arise, but are you ever going to be in a place where you're like, I am tempted by nothing? No. And if you say you are, you are a liar or you're just not very self-aware. It's one of those two things. You're either intentionally lying to others or you're just not very self-aware and don't understand what area it is that you are struggling with. But we all experience temptation. We all experience sin, whether it's our own sin or it's sin acted against us. But we have a loving obligation to our God to not act upon our sinful desires and the temptations that arise in our life. That is what sets us apart from the world. And we must be set apart from this world in that we choose not to live like this world. Sanctification starts with self-control. And that's what Paul's teaching about. It's about being in control of one's body, being in control of one's mind, and being in control of one's actions. We must control ourselves. You know, my mom used to tell me all the time when I was younger to think before I speak. I don't know if anybody shares that uh, piece of advice with loved ones or children or anything like that, but she would tell me all the time, hey, you really need to think before you speak. You really stepped in it back there. And in my young childish mind, I always just thought, well, my mom doesn't really like to have fun, apparently, because I'm having a great time just saying whatever pops into the dome. Uh, I still struggle with it from time to time. I know that will shock a lot of you, but sanctification, way better at it today than I was back then. I never thought in a million years that what she was giving me was a biblical command. I've been very open about all of my past struggles, but all of those struggles are rooted in one thing, a lack of self-control, an inability to tell sin no. And to tell myself, no. But if we really think about it, sin at its core is just that. Sin is a lack of self-control. It's an inability for all of us to tell ourselves no. Especially once we become aware of it. When we have been introduced into the fact that there is good and there is evil and there is right and there is wrong. And there is sin against a holy God. When we know that and we still sin, it boils down to the fact that we lack self-control and that inability to tell ourselves no. Here is a key statement for you to hold on to and buy into. Unmeasured passion. Unmeasured passion has no place in the Christian walk. Think about it for a second. Your initial thoughts are probably all applying to sin, right? But unmeasured passion has no place in the Christian walk, even in the good that we do. You see, Christ, our greatest example, was a very measured human being. We looked at the miracles of Christ uh, during the gathering for a couple months there. Everything Christ did was measured. The way that he performed a miracle, 
the words that he said after it, whether telling people to go forward and tell no one about what he had done, eventually switching course to say, go and let everyone know about what's being done, whether he's flipping tables in a synagogue or he is deciding to stop Peter from trying to defend him against the people that are coming to arrest him. Everything that Christ did was measured. It was thought out. And so often we just let fires burn in our lives of Christianity. And, and what happens when we don't tame that craziness, when we just walk around with unmeasured passion, what ends up happening is Westboro Baptist Church or the guy downtown on the square with the Turner Burn sign and his own little karaoke machine that he likes to yell at people as they're walking by. Is there any truth in what these individuals are saying? The unfortunate answer is probably yes. There is some truth in their words. But you can be truthful. I need to look at my audience here. You can be truthful and still be an a-hole. Blunt enough for everyone? We'll talk later. You can be truthful and still be a jerk. You can be truthful and still send people straight to hell. You can be truthful and push them away from a loving God. The truth will set people free. But if you have beat them to death before they ever get to experience that truth, then they haven't experienced freedom. They've experienced death. How we approach others with our message is of utmost importance. Every time I think about approaching somebody who I know in their life is living, frankly, a life of sin, I think about Jesus as he kneeled down to the ground and I would do it, but I'm not sure I would get back up. And he draws the line in the sand between him and the adulterous woman and the Pharisees. And he looks right at them and he says, you who's blameless, cast the first stone. Then he drops his head and he continues to write in the sand. And a few moments later, he looks up and there's no one there. Because there is no one that is blameless. Not you, not me, just Christ. And that is the Christ that people should be experiencing. That is the God who loves others that people need to be introduced to. And so we can't have unmeasured passion in our Christian Walk our words, our actions, our decisions, our thought processes must all be bridled by our desire to ensure that what we say and what we do and what we think is pleasing to God. That is so incredibly important. First Thessalonians four, six through seven. 
final two verses we're going to look at. And that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Again, the goal is living in a way that is pleasing to God. Not a way that pleases mom or dad. Not a way that pleases brother, sister, husband, wife, friends, co-workers. A way that is pleasing to God. Not a way that is pleasing to yourself. Not a way that feels best to you. Not a way that makes sense because of your feelings or your beliefs. But a way that is pleasing to God. The result of living such a life. You need to hear this. The result of living such a life is avoiding harming others. And we have to avoid harming others because as stated multiple times in this chapter, we are supposed to be set apart and set apart for a holy God who has holy expectations. There should be a difference between those who know Jesus and those that don't. And part of that, part of that is calculated living. Part of that is thinking before you speak and thinking before you act and checking yourself when you are thinking in a way that you should not be so that we can prove our God and our choices not just in our words, but in our deeds. May others see Christ in the way that you and the way that I choose to live our lives. Let's pray. God, I come to you right now. I thank you for this day. It has been a blessing to me. I pray that it has been a blessing to others. God, we thank you for a successful Disciple Now weekend. We thank you that you love us and show us grace, that we don't have to be perfect overnight, that we don't have to get all our eggs in one basket, all our ducks in a row, so to speak, before we can come to you. We can come to you just as we are and let you work. What it takes is a belief in our heart and a confession from our mouths that you are the Son of God and that you died on a cross so that we could experience forgiveness of our sins. That's all it takes. You handle the rest. God, help us to be people, all of us, Christian or not, who think about others first, who are measured in the way that we act, in the way that we think, and in the way that we speak. It's been the biggest battle of my life to have self-control, to not just say whatever comes to mind, to not just act however I want to, I am inherently sinful and selfish and oftentimes self-serving. 
But I can honestly stand here and say that I don't want to be that way. I don't want to be that way. And God, if we can earnestly say that in our hearts, then we are stepping in the right direction. As we are going through that process of sanctification, as we experience your grace and your holiness, as we one day get to experience that holiness for ourselves. And God, as I say these words, I can't help but think of Maxine, who is with you in heaven today, who is experiencing that holiness, who lived a life well lived, a life of service and a life of love, a life that pointed others to something other than herself. People experienced God because of the way she lived her life and because of who she was. And we just want to follow that example. We talk about it all the time. The two greatest commandments are to love the Lord, our God, with all our soul, with all our strength. To love our, our neighbors as ourselves, Knowing that in loving our neighbors as we love ourselves, we are loving God in the way that we are commanded to. Help us as a church and as individuals continue to choose second. As we walk day in and day out, doing our very best to live a life that is pleasing to our God. We ask these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Band's going to lead us in a few more worship songs. I'm going to be down front. If you need to come pray with me, please do so. Uh, I, Allie, will you stand over here under this screen? And I, I don't know if Jake is in here, but um, uh, Mike Brooks, would you mind? Or Jake's over here. That's fine. Either way, everybody go back. Just let's all pray. If you need to pray with somebody, come grab one of these individuals. Come talk to me. Come talk to Allie. If you need to talk to me about what it means to live a life that is pleasing to God, about the experience of salvation and sanctification and grace and all of the things that I think are so important, don't leave this place today without having that conversation. Regardless of what you decide, it will be time well spent. Otherwise, let's all stand right now. Let's just give an offering of praise to our God.